Let's turn then in our Bibles to the sermon text for today, which is found in Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 through 18. Genesis chapter 24, 1 through 18. We return to the book of Genesis uh, as I've been preaching through it. It's been a couple weeks, though, since we were in chapter 23. Uh, So to remind you, 23 had talked about the death of Sarah. Sarah had died at the age of 127, and that was 37 years after giving birth to Isaac. She was buried in the cave of Machpelah, which Abraham had purchased from the Hittites along with the adjoining field. And he did this not only to show honor to his wife, uh, but also to firmly stake their claim on the promised land, so that even in death they would sojourn in the promised land, not returning to the land from which they came, and they would rest upon God's promises for a lasting inheritance, uh, not only in Canaan for their descendants, uh, but a heavenly country. Now Genesis 24 picks up two or three years after Sarah's death. Um, Isaac was 37 years old when his mother died, and we'll learn from chapter 25, verse 20, that Isaac was 40 years old by the end of chapter 24. Spoiler alert, when he gets married. He's going to get married at the end of the chapter. Um, And when he's married, he's 40 years old. So we don't know how long the events of chapter 24 took, let's say a few months. Um, This is two or three years after Sarah's death. Abraham then was about 140 years old, And he was thinking of Isaac's future. In particular, he was thinking about whom Isaac would marry. And so we'll read chapter 24, verses 1 through 28, uh, about a search uh, for a wife for Isaac. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, Then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. He arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, 
I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman, to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar, that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray for his blessing upon this word. O Lord God, we thank you for the word that you have given to instruct your people, to call people to yourself, to trust in you, to entrust themselves to you for your steadfast love and your faithfulness endures forever from generation to generation. We pray that you would so instruct us in this word that our hearts might be built up in holiness and comfort by the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a very long chapter uh, in the book of the Bible. We are only covering almost half of the chapter today, but it is 67 verses long. And uh, that kind of indicates that maybe it's important. Uh, Certainly all of Scripture is important, but this was no ordinary uh, marriage. This was a particularly special marriage that was to happen because Isaac was a very important person. He was the offspring of Abraham, the promised offspring of Abraham, the only promised offspring that Abraham and Sarah had. And it was through Isaac that his offspring would be uh, reckoned. And so it was important that he would get married and would have children. And uh, so Abraham has this on his mind. He also wants a good marriage for his son, not entangling himself with the doomed Canaanites and not returning to the land God had taken him from. 
uh, not getting off track by the one he married, but rather to find a good wife for his son Isaac. In this passage, in the first 28 verses, we find first Abraham's believing directions for a wife for Isaac, and we see then second that the servant's prayerful search for a wife for Isaac, and then third, God's faithful provision of a good wife for Isaac. So the a wife for Isaac is the theme of this passage. We see Abraham, the servant, and God himself at work in this account. First, though, let's look at Abraham's believing directions for a wife for Isaac. Abraham is old. He actually will live uh, a, a little bit longer. I think he dies at the age of 175, and he's 140 now. Yeah, but uh, he still is old and well advanced in years, and he's feeling the age. He doesn't know he's going to live to 175, and he wants to uh, see that his son is well settled and has a wife. And so he calls his servant to him, his most trusted servant, the the senior member of his household uh, whom he trusts. And he gives this servant a mission. He makes him swear that he will follow these instructions. Abraham made his servant swear by the Lord that he would not take a wife for Isaac from among the Canaanites, but that he would go to Abraham's kindred and take a wife for Isaac. We've talked about what an oath is, right? Swearing, that you either assert something or promise to do something and call upon the Lord to witness as a witness. And we find that here. There's an accessory to the oath, this placing his hand under the thigh of Abraham to to seal that uh, oath, that um, swearing of this promise. In this case, it's a promise. The servant says that he will do this. Now, Abraham also commands him not to take Isaac back to the land, not to the land across the river, not to the land of Mesopotamia, uh, not across the Euphrates River. Uh, He had come from Ur of the Chaldeans and then to Haran, both of which were beyond the Euphrates River, and he doesn't want the servant to take Isaac back there because perhaps this woman that he finds there won't want to travel to this unknown land, to the land of Canaan, uh, to marry Isaac. Um, whom she had never met. And if that was the case, if the woman was not willing to go, Abraham says, then you're free from this oath. Do not feel this obligation anymore. But in any case, you must not bring Isaac back to that land. God had brought Abraham out of that land, and he didn't want Isaac to, to go back, uh, to, uh, uh, to reject this call of God, but rather to continue to follow the Lord and to look to the Lord for his inheritance. God had told Abraham to leave the land of his kindred and had sworn to give his descendants, like Isaac and his descendants, the descendants of Isaac, the land of Canaan. And Abraham commanded this because God would accordingly bless the mission. Uh, Somehow, Abraham knew that Isaac would have offspring and Uh, a blessed offspring. So he was confident that the Lord would send his angel before him and arrange the details. But Isaac must not return. So we kind of have three different things here. Isaac must get married and have children. Isaac must not marry a Canaanite, 
because the Canaanites are going to be dispossessed for their wickedness. He doesn't want them intermingling and, and, and joining them. But then Isaac also must not return to the land beyond the Euphrates. Isaac must get married and have children because God, because Abraham believed God's promises. All of these are because of his faith. Abraham believed God's promises regarding the offspring of Isaac, offspring through whom the world would be blessed, and an offspring that would grow into a multitude. And so he seeks to uh, find a wife for Isaac. Isaac must not marry a Canaanite because Abraham believed God's promises regarding the eventual overthrow of the Canaanites for their sins, and that uh, Isaac's heirs would inherit the land instead. And so Abraham believed God's promises and, again, is, is acting upon that faith. And then Isaac must not return to the land beyond the Euphrates, again, because Abraham believes God's call, that he... His first act of faith was to answer that call when God said, go out from your country and go to a land that I will show you to look to God for the inheritance and there would be no turning back from following the Lord. So Abraham believes God and acts by that faith in seeking a particular kind of wife for Isaac. So Abraham believed God's promise and acted by that faith like Abraham, we too, you and I, should believe the Lord's promises, even to the end, not just in uh, the midst of a trial, but even to old age, to endure to the end, to consider what God has promised and to act and live by that faith. Do not slacken in your faith, but press on uh, to the upward call of God as you get older, looking to the promise set before you. Consider what God has promised believers in this life. Trust God for that care and, and love and forgiveness and grace. Consider what God has promised in history, the, the fortunes of his church, the uh, conversion of the lost, the building up of his church, that the gates of hell should not prevail against it, that the, that the nations would be blessed in Christ. There is much to look forward to. Consider what God has promised to you after death, the being made perfect in holiness and dwelling with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a promise that we have in Christ to look forward to. And consider what he has promised in the age to come, an inheritance in the new order of things, the new heavens of the earth, the resurrection of the body, to look to these promises by faith. Consider what he has promised and act accordingly. Live in the light of his promises. But also, like Abraham, charge your household and your household after you to keep the way of the Lord. God had said, I have chosen Abraham that he might do this, that he might charge his household, his children, his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. And we find in this passage Abraham doing exactly that. He wants to see that Isaac, even after his time, continues to run this race, continues to press on ahead in the way that Abraham had walked. So direct your children to follow the Lord, to rest upon his promises, uh, to uh, provide for them, to direct them that they might remain distinct from the domain of darkness and press on as a disciple of Jesus Christ. The fallen world, like the Canaanites, is passing away 
with its lusts. So teach your children not to link themselves with its lusts and pride. It might look attractive for the moment, but it is a fading thing. It is a thing that is headed for destruction, for a great overthrow. And you shall receive all that is good. You shall receive the inheritance in the end if you hold fast to Christ. So do not partake in the deeds of darkness, but rather reprove them. Dwell in the lights. Teach your children and direct them to do likewise. Teach them that the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Should we yoke ourselves with, with the world of darkness, as it were, with the Canaanites? That would be a, few, uh, a folly, a foolish choice. This includes directing and teaching children to, to marry in the Lord. You know, not to marry unbelievers, heretics, the ungodly. Uh, it's not the only application. There's other ways to, uh, to remain faithful to Christ and to remain distinct from the world of darkness. Certainly we live in this world, but ought not to partake in sin. Uh, but part of that is also in whom you marry, uh, to marry in the Lord. When Paul speaks of uh, someone, a, a, a widow who remarries, he, he adds the qualification, it, it must be in the Lord. Uh, for believers today, a marriage to an unbeliever, if one's converted, it's still legitimate marriage, but when you're choosing whom to marry, uh, one should marry a fellow believer, uh, one who is equally yoked. Also, like Abraham, then help your children to marry well. Those who have children or will have children, parents should help their children to marry well. And then children also, as they grow up, should honor their parents' direction while seeking this same goal. We read Jeremiah 29 uh, earlier, where it says, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. You know, there's both the person getting married and their parents that are involved in this process. And it is a a goal uh, to be pursued. Um, Abraham does the part of a good father by giving attention to the matter of finding a wife for him, of uh, seeing to it that he is married and married well. Now, parental involvement in this can look very differently depending on the circumstances. It can be very hands-on, as in this case, which is, you know, where uh, he's completely managing the the process and the the woman even comes without ever having met him before, although it's not a complete stranger, as we'll find, a a relative. Um, And that might be the, the one end of the amount of involvement. Of course, it's not forcing them against their consent. We'll find that that's important later on in the text. That's usually all the fairy tales and stuff where, you know, the mean old parents are getting in their way in a wrong way. It's, it's being done in a wrong way. Uh, but it also can look differently in Scripture. We'll find Isaac, when he directs Jacob, he sends Jacob uh, to, uh, he gives counsel and direction to son Jacob, but then Jacob goes and finds a wife because of the circumstances around that. Or Ruth and Naomi. Ruth is the one to first meet Boaz. Naomi says, I should find rest for you. Uh, you, should, you should probably marry this guy. Um, go in and seek marriage with him. But again, Ruth takes a very active involvement then in this marriage. It can look differently how exactly that works out in a case. But regardless, uh, parents and their children should work together to find good marriages. Uh, parents must be wise in the manner of their involvement, not being overbearing, uh, not being negligent, uh, not 
forcing children against their will, uh, not uh, withholding their consent without just cause, uh, but also not uh, being negligent to prov- to help the, their children to find marriage or negligent in guiding them away from uh, bad connections to a good one. Abraham both sought to avoid a bad marriage for his son and procure a good marriage for him. The mission had a t- this twofold purpose. By providing for a good marriage, he was also preventing a bad marriage. Uh, it's an error that perhaps has sometimes been seen where parents see their duty only in negative terms, that they're really disengaged from the process until the time comes to ask for their consent, and then they say uh, they have veto power, um, rather than to proactively beforehand help their children to be ready for marriage, to be communicating with their children about this, and to help them even to find good spouses as is appropriate for that child and for their circumstances. So it's, it's both that Abraham has in mind. And in this case, he sends his servant to find this wife, perhaps in part because he doesn't want Isaac to go back uh, to the land from which he was called. Secondly, though, we find not only Abraham's believing directions, but also the servant's prayerful search for a wife for Isaac. He has been charged with a weighty task. Um, This is quite the task he has. Uh, Pressure from Abraham, pressure, no doubt, from Isaac, too. (laughs) Doesn't want to mess this up. And he goes out then a long journey back uh, to the north and to the east, probably to Haran. It's not mentioned which city of Nahor this is, but that does seem to be where his family is living later on. And he swore the oath. He went on the mission. He took 10 camels, which is a lot of camels, especially because they were a little, I've been told in the commentaries, they're more rare at that time than later on, uh, a sign of his wealth and also to carry all the choice gifts he brought with him. Uh, he wanted to, to show this prospective wife that, you know, this, this uh, family, Isaac, will be able to, to care for you. He stopped by the well of water outside the city in the evening and prayed. And he devised a test to reveal a good potential spouse for Isaac. And he prayed to God that God would make this test successful. It was not a request for some random omen like uh, the pagan Greeks and Romans would seek. You know, if the bird flies this way, then it'll be fortunate. If the bird flies that way, it'll be not, not some kind of random omen. But he prays that God would bless this test. It was a test similar to how God had tested Abraham, how God had tested Lot, how God had tested Sodom. What was the test? A test of character by whether the person would show hospitality to strangers. Remember the three men that show up to Abraham, and Abraham runs around and shows hospitality to them, and Lot does likewise, but the men of Sodom not only don't provide hospitality, but then seek immoral relations with them and even seek to harm. Well, the servant prays at the beginning for success. The servant calls upon the Lord as the God of my master Abraham, because he's not just seeking something for himself, he's seeking something for Abraham. And he appeals to God's covenant with Abraham. He asks that God would show steadfast love to Abraham. That's that Hebrew word chesed, uh, translated as mercy or kindness or steadfast love. This is that, that faithful covenant, mercy, kindness that accompanies a covenant. It's a duty of a covenant. We found this twice earlier in Genesis in the context of marriage, that Sarah would show chesed, kindness to Abraham, in a political covenant that Abraham and 
uh, the king of the Philistines would have chesed between them, show kindness to one another. Here we have it in the context of a divine covenant, that God would show chesed, steadfast love to Abraham. He would come to his aid. He would be a, a, a powerful ally and lord and protector. He would give the servant success, is the prayer, and show steadfast love to Abraham. Now, to skip forward a little bit, after Rebekah passes the test and reveals who she is, and he sees his success in finding uh, what he was looking for, the servant then knew that the Lord had prospered his journey, and how did he respond? Also with prayer. He bowed his head. He worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. And so he not only uh, seeks God's blessing and favor uh, before he puts this to work, but then he also gives thanks to God when he sees that the Lord has prospered his labor. All is vain unless the Lord blesses. And so we should seek his blessing. We should seek his help through prayer. I have a few things that we can learn from this. First, unite work and prayer. The servant was both diligent, wise, and prayerful. All together, not just one or the other. He did his duty, which had been defined uh, by God's parameters uh, around the situation, not from the Canaanites, don't bring Isaac back. It had been defined by Abraham, who had sent him on this, and he acted decisively. But he also believed that God's providence directed all the events, and he sought God's blessing upon his work. So don't neglect prayer only working. Neither should you neglect work only praying, unless there's truly nothing you can do. Prayer and work in the labors that you do. Uh, unite them together. Notice also that the servant did not simply follow his feelings and then label those feelings being led by the Spirit. You know, he didn't come up to the woman and said, I really feel that you're a wife for Isaac. God has called me to tell you this and to bring you back with me. Uh, No, he didn't uh, call his feelings being led by the Spirit. He will say that he's being led, but that's relevant. That's noticed after the fact. Feelings can be good. Hopefully the fruit of the Spirit becomes more and more natural to you. But don't divinize your feelings. Uh, Something can be a good choice because you felt it was right as an instinct without it being the voice of God. Uh, And of course, sometimes your feelings are not good. You have to be wise. In this case, God's leading became evident after the fact when he saw that it was successful. But beforehand, he had to act with wisdom. Within the parameters of God's word, coming up with a wise approach, asking for the Lord's blessing upon it. Um, The leading of the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, seeking God's call, these things uh, often uh, get a little messy in the way people talk today. So it's helpful to have an example from Scripture. Also, we learn about prayer. When you call upon the Lord, appeal to his promises, appeal to his word. As he here called upon God as the master of my, uh, as the God of my master Abraham, to show steadfast love. You know, as he had revealed himself to be his covenant uh, Lord, that he would act accordingly. God's word has said that God is the father of those who believe in Christ. 
Therefore call upon him as your Father in heaven, who knows what you need and who cares for you. Pray for his mercy, for it is new every morning and endures forever. When you set out to earn your daily bread, when you look for a spouse, when you look for a new job, when you set about to teach your children, you know, call upon the Lord that he would bless the work of your hands, that he would care for you, uh, that he would uh, work in accord with his promises uh, to never leave nor forsake his people. And if you find success, also pray, also worship the Lord, also address yourself to him, bow your head in reverence before him, and bless the Lord. Give thanks to him, praise him for what he has done. As the servant bows and worships, he recounts what God has said. You know, be precise. What has God done that you're praising him for? Give thanks to him. Of course, he knows what he did, but, but you want to give thanks to him and praise him uh, for this good thing that he has done. God is sovereign over all the details, over all events. Every good gift uh, comes from him. Uh, he didn't praise his efforts. He didn't say, look how smart a guy I was. Um, he didn't say, look at this lucky break. He said, blessed be the Lord. So the servants, as uh, a good example of one who prayerfully uh, searched for a wife for Isaac, one who prayerfully uh, sought to do uh, what was right. Now, thirdly, we find in this text God's faithful, faithful provision of a good wife for Isaac. God had not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness, his mercy and truth. It was shown by leading the servant to the house of Abraham's brother Nahor and to Nahor's granddaughter, Rebekah. This had special importance for the kingdom of God, like I've said. There's no ordinary marriage. It's also an instance of the general truth that a good wife is a gift from the Lord, that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Her house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord, as Proverbs says. Now, he provided not just a wife, but a good one. This is shown in several ways in the text. First of all, Rebecca is introduced as a young woman who is first very attractive in appearance, Second, a maiden, the Hebrew word that refers to a woman of the age at which it was common to marry. And third, one whom no man had known, a virgin. Secondly, her character was proved by her response to the servant. She showed herself very hospitable to the stranger by going above and beyond. All he asked was for a little bit of water from her jar. And she gave him water, and then she said, let me draw water for your camels, and even goes beyond what he had prayed. He had said to God, you know, I'll, uh, the one who says, I'll water your camels, uh, let her be the one. She goes beyond that and says, I'll give water until they are finished drinking, not just to give some water to the camels, but enough to, to quench their thirst. And camels can drink a lot of water, and 10 camels can drink a lot of water. Uh, I read from what I could tell that maybe a camel will drink 20 gallons of water, <laughs> 21, 25 and then uh, 10 of them uh, is a lot of gallons to be hauling back and forth from uh, the well. And this is uh, quite impressive. But we've seen something like this before, right? Do you remember someone running quickly this way and that way, bringing vast quantities of, 
nourishment for strangers. Abraham had done this. He runs this way and tells Sarah. He runs this way and tells the, the uh, servants, you know, bring these vast quantities of bread and food for these strangers. The same words, quickly and run, uh, are used. Now, thirdly, also, it turns out that she was a cousin of Isaac's, uh, a first cousin once removed, we would say. Uh, Abraham had wanted him to go to his kindred, and the servant found a good woman who was not merely from the same clan, like he had said, but even a granddaughter of his older brother. Now, why would that be important? That's not what everyone has to seek. Uh, uh, But a relative like this would be probably easier to convince to come and marry Isaac. Uh, He was not a complete stranger. And while it will seem that the descendants of Nahor still had a problem with idols, the knowledge and worship of the true God did exist among them, that they knew Jehovah, they knew the Lord. And this was probably because Abraham had spoken of this before he had left them. And so it was important for him to go to a household where these things were taught and where uh, there was uh, uh, knowledge of the true God. And so he had found the right people that he was looking for in the first place. And so to bring Rebekah to Isaac, God worked providentially, bringing her out at the right time to meet him and to respond uh, well. God is in the control of all events and the relation of those events, preparing Rebekah uh, even uh, before these events for years uh, for this time. So, from this provision of God, see that uh, this kind of spouse is, is a blessing. It's okay, first of all, to desire an attractive spouse, and it's a blessing to have one. Scripture's not blind to that fact. Of course, it's not enough. It's not the highest good, but it's a good start. Uh, Rebecca was not only attractive on the outside, though, but she was also a chaste woman who had not known a man uh, who was generous hard-working, and a hospitable woman who eagerly showed kindness to this stranger. We can see, you know, Proverb 31's type of virtues, you know, come out in this one instance. These are things to be valued and prayed for and gratefully received as a gift of God. And for yourself, it is good and right to make yourself a blessing to your spouse, to be this kind of person uh, that is a blessing to your spouse and to your household. Whether you are married already Uh, or whether you seek to get married. But also remember that this is no ordinary marriage. It also teaches more broadly that God will not forsake his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward his people. Uh, He will build his people up. Uh, He will convert the lost. He will raise up another generation to serve him. He will bring his people to everlasting glory. He will not simply be faithful to Abraham and then stop. Even though his plan may involve trials and chastisement and difficulty and waiting and, and challenges, yet as he told those who were exiles in Babylon, who are certainly experiencing difficulty later on in Jeremiah 29, God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Uh, Despite the uh, difficulties and trials that we might go through, this is God's intention for his people. 
to have plans for their good, for a future, for a hope, uh, from one generation to the next and throughout your life to bring you to the appointed haven at the end. He will never leave you nor forsake you. If you are Christ's, then you are heir of Abraham. And God will guide the events of this life for your good. So in conclusion, we see these three things. God, uh, Abraham, the servant, and God. Abraham believed God's promises and therefore directed his servant to seek a wife, not from the Canaanites, but from his distant kin, and not to bring Isaac back there. The servant faithfully followed these instructions. He wisely came up with a plan. But most importantly, he prayed. He relied upon the covenant mercy of God, expressed that reliance through prayer, and then through thanksgiving. And God faithfully led Abraham's servant to a good wife for Isaac. God had orchestrated all the events to meet in a wonderful way to show his steadfast love to Abraham and to fulfill his promises to him. So trust in the Lord. Call upon him from day to day. We have access to him in prayer to appeal to him, to act according to his word. Seek good from his hand and seek his kingdom and righteousness first. For those who are in that position and ready, seek marriage wisely, prayerfully. For good spouses, a great blessing. And the marriage of the godly is still a means by which God, Abraham's offspring continue to increase. May God bless our families, our marriages, our young, and to show his steadfast love from generation to generation. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father, our, our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of their children and your children today, who have been brought into this family through faith in Jesus Christ and by your grace. We ask that you would aid us and help us, that you would show your mercy and kindness and faithful help to us, your people. We pray that you would uh, stir up our spirit to call upon you when we are in need, and that when you have blessed us, it would not be to, to fatten us up for uh, worse things through our selfishness, but rather to uh, stir us to worship and reverence and awe that we might delight not only in the gift, but also in the giver. We pray that you would show your steadfast love in such a way that we might perceive it and be built up to greater assurance and strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.